everyone, Sam here. You're listening to Explaining Christianity, a one-season, six-episode podcast designed to explain Christianity clearly. In each episode, we'll be listening to a short talk by Dave Jensen and then spending some time chatting about what we've heard afterwards. You're listening to Episode 5. Before we hear the talk, I'm going to read from the book of the Bible which Dave is speaking from, called the Gospel of Mark. Mark's one of the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus recorded in the Bible. I'm reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 27 to 33. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. When I was uh, 28 years of age, um, the most important thing in my life happened to me. I became a Christian. The circumstances were uh, interesting. Uh, I was in the Australian Army and uh, I was at that time serving up in Darwin. I lived in the Northern Territory and before that I lived in Tansville, Wagga Wagga, Canberra, all over. And for most of my life, I had had warm feelings towards Christianity without ever own it for myself. I grew up in a, in a Christian family, a family who truly loved Jesus, that Jesus was at the center of our life. But for me, it just always seemed a bit, well, true but irrelevant. A bit like, well, the sky is blue. Uh, the sky could be green. I don't understand why it matters. What's the difference? You know, mix it. Okay, that's great. It happens, whatever. That's what Christianity was like to me. Um, my life, um, well, it was a disaster, but it didn't feel like a disaster. It just felt like normal life. I was Married and divorced by 22. I then spent uh, six years between 22 to 28 really doing whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, however I wanted, with all the freedom available to someone with unlimited resources available and no, uh, no restrictions. Um, nothing terrible happened to me. My life hadn't fallen apart. My life wasn't, I thought, particularly dreadful or this or the other. It was very, very uh, alike with my friends. My friends lived the same way that I did. In fact, many of them still do um, live that way. <laughs> Um, but when I was 28 years of age, for some reason I, I couldn't explain at the time, I woke up and I began to think about God. Um, and as I, as I thought about God, I um, went on YouTube and watched some videos. Uh, I thought about things that um, people had said to me over the years, my sisters, my brothers, my parents, others. Uh, I called a friend I knew who, who was a Christian and he told me the truth about Jesus, that Jesus Christ died for sinners that my sin did not disqualify me from God's kingdom. It qualified me for his grace. 
Um, and I became a Christian. Now, that was um, 14 years ago. What I want to talk to you about, though, is the reaction that I received. When I became a Christian, and then I began to tell people oh, I've become a Christian, uh, I received four different types of responses. Some people were really happy for me, usually Christians. Woo! You know, um, nothing like seeing the reaction of a Christian when you tell them you've become a Christian. Woo! Yeah, it's really exciting. Two, um, some people were unhappy with me. What do you mean? The Christians are lame. Christians are bigots. Christians are... Most people couldn't care less, of course. But the fourth response I got was confusion. And the confusion I got um, was something like this. What do you mean you've become a Christian? Become a Christian. And then they'd say something like, haven't you always been a Christian? Now, I just want you to don't miss this part because this is important. I wasn't a Christian. But I understood what they were saying because, well, I wasn't Muslim, Buddhist, Jewish, atheist, agnostic. My family were Christian. I'd been baptized, confirmed. On my dog tags in the army, it had, you know, Christian. If my religion was anything, it was Christianity. I, I didn't go to church. I didn't read my Bible. I didn't pray. I did not have a relationship with God. And yet I suppose I understood that they thought I was a Christian because if someone had asked my religion, I would have said Christian. However, it wasn't until I became a Christian that I had to confront a startling, really difficult truth for many of us to deal with. But we must deal with it and you must deal with it. I, I promise you, you must deal with it. And that is that it's possible to think you're a Christian, to call yourself a Christian, to be from a Christian family, to even behave in ways you think are Christian-ish and yet not be a Christian. And that's very difficult for us to hear because we live in a culture obsessed with identity. And in our culture, its obsession with identity says you can call yourself whatever you want. You can be whatever you want. If you want to identify as a microphone, go for it. You might get annoyed at people keep talking into your, your hair, but it's up to you. So how is it possible that you can do all of those things and yet not be a Christian? Well, here's what I want to say. I want to say the reason that is true is due to the widespread confusion about how to answer this question. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? I wonder, how would you answer that question? What, what is a Christian? A Christian is, it should be a simple answer. Shouldn't, after all, Christianity is the world's biggest religion. All of us have had our own exposures and interactions with Christianity. Every person in the country has one way or the other. Christianity is constantly talked about, um, usually negatively in the public square, but nonetheless is around the place. It should be a simple question to answer, but when you think about it, if you had to answer it right now in your notebook, maybe give it a go. A Christian is dot, dot, dot. What would you say? A little bit like the death of Jesus, one of the things that can happen when things are very, very commonly seen or, or spoken about is we can think we know what's going on. And yet what happens is because of all the different representations of Christianity in the wider world, media, entertainment, elsewhere, but also within Christianity, the different flavours and denominations of Christianity and so on and so forth, it can mean that the answer is quite murky for us and quite, it can feel very difficult to understand. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. Christianity at its core, at its very centre, is not complicated. A child can understand it. It's not murky. It's not difficult to understand. In fact, in fact, it's very simple. And not just simple, it's very beautiful and true. But more to the point, Christianity is not what you want it to be or make it to be. You see, how can we know the truth about what a Christian is? Well, 
let me let you into a secret. Christianity is all about Jesus Christ. Now, does the name give it away? Christianity? Now, that's his title, remember. It's not Mary Christ and Joe Christ and Jesus Christ, okay? Christ means Messiah. It means King. Now, that's wonderful news for us because what that means very, very simply is that we do not determine what a Christian is. Jesus Christ determines what a Christian is. Do you, do you understand that? Do you know what I'm saying? You're not the one who gets to classify and qualify and quantify what a Christian is. Your opinion is meaningless insofar as it's on its own. No, no, no. What we need to do is listen to Jesus, to listen to what He says. We need to go to the Word, His Word in the Bible as He speaks to us and, and listen deeply to what He tells us a Christian is and what a Christian does. Mark chapter 8 is a really significant part of the gospel um, because up until this point, Jesus has been primarily focused on establishing his identity. And now he stops, he stops, he pauses. Have a look at verse 27 to 29. Jesus sits down with his disciples and he, he has a wonderful interaction with them. First of all, he says, who do people say that I am? And, and they offer in, in verse 27 to 29, a whole list of very Jewish responses, not the kind of responses that we would get today. Uh, a prophet, Elijah, John the Baptist, now today, of course, the answers would be completely different. Oh, he's a guru. He's a, he's a, he's a religious teacher. He's a good guy. In fact, most people, I, I want to promise you, most people you'll find actually really like Jesus. They like the idea of Jesus. Okay, even other religions. Oh, he's one of the gods. Oh, he's a prophet. Oh, he's this, that, the other. But then Jesus turns the screw and says, okay, but what about you? And this is the difference, of course, between me asking, um, like one of your leaders, hey, who won the last election? You go, oh, the Labor Party won the last election. Okay. Who did the people vote for? Well, they voted for the Labor Party. Okay. Who did you vote for? Now, the only answer to that question is none of your business. Okay. So here, Jesus then asks the disciples, what do they say? Now, why do you think he's asking? Is Jesus asking because he's desperate for affirmation? He's desperate for a bit of a pick-me-up. Hey, do they like me or what? What do they think about me? What are they saying about me? Don't tell anyone I'm asking. What do you think about me? <laughs> that is not what Jesus is doing. What is Jesus doing? He's pointing us to something very, very, very critical for all of us to understand. What is it? Jesus' intention in asking them who they say he is is because the most important identification to make in life is not of yourself. Who you are on your own, well, the Bible tells us dead in your transgressions and sins. No, 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 no. The most important identification you need to make in life is who is Jesus? He's not asking for his own benefit, but for ours. Do you see that? Now, Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. What does all of this mean? Well, let me just say this. What is a Christian from that first piece of the jigsaw puzzle? A Christian is someone who knows who Jesus truly is. Someone who identifies Jesus as God's king. But what does that mean for you? Well, what that means is being a Christian is not about whatever you say it is. You can call yourself a Baptist, an Anglican, a Presbyterian, a Pentecostal, an independent evangelical, a community church member, a unicorn, a Jesus lover, a spirit-filled believer, an apostle, anointed, double anointed, whatever you want. But none of those things 
mean anything if you do not know who Jesus is. What matters is what you say about he, not me. When I was a teenager, I, I must confess to you, and this is an embarrassing story, so please do not tell anyone. When I was a teenager, I, I, um, I became a vegan. Okay, there was a girl involved. She was also a vegan. Although she did work at Engadine Kentucky Fried Chicken, so it was a little bit of a mixed message that I was getting there. But I very quickly found myself enamoured with animal rights. Uh, you know, just, oh, man, man, man. And I became full-on vegan. I had a Nike rip-off shirt which had vegan, just do it, go vegan. I used to have these stickers, you know, meat is murder, dairy is assault and all this stuff. And I used to put them around school and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I refused to wear leather shoes. Now, all that is by the by. The worst part, though, was that I demanded of my poor blessed mother that now I suddenly had to eat tofu and lentils. And what a, Now, this is the 1990s, okay? Lentils hadn't been invented yet. And yet, they had to do all this stuff. My mum had five kids. I was easily, not easily, I was possibly one of the most irritating of them, okay? And now she's got to do all this stuff. We would go over to other people's houses. Dave's a vegan. Sorry, a what? A vegan. Sorry, he's got a, what's a vegan? A vegan is blah, 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 on and on and on. It went. It was a massive hassle to people. I had arguments with people. I really, it was well before it was cool to be vegan, okay? I just want to say that. There was only one problem. Now, don't tell them this is, it wasn't true in the middle of the night I would creep down the stairs I would open the fridge I would open the fridge and devour any animal product I could I ate any animal product I possibly I would eat anything and then shut the fridge and run upstairs. Now, my mother eventually cottoned onto this. And I loved milk. Oh, milk. Just milk. And I hate soy milk, man. I hate it. So I used to pour it in the sink, you know. And so good back in the day. I mean, that cost so much money. So my mum cottoned onto it because she'd see the milk kept evaporating magically. So she drew a line on the milk bottle without telling me to catch me. But I saw it. So I slugged down half of it. Then I went to the sink and filled it up with water and I put it back in and then I wouldn't touch that because it tasted like skim milk. You know, yuck, I don't want anything to do with that. So let me ask you a question. Was I a vegan? <laughs> How dare you? I am whoever I want to be. I'm a vegan who ate meat. Now, eventually I came to my senses. Um, I, I broke up with the girl and yeah. One thing, so then I ran to McDonald's as quickly as I possibly could uh, and stopped pretending. You can call yourself a Christian. You can think that you're a Christian. You can be from a Christian family. You can have a Christian background. You can act in a way that makes you think that you are a Christian. You can go to church, be baptized, come to kick, have a Bible, say your prayers. You can do all of those things and yet not be a Christian. Why? Because the most important identification in Christianity is not how you think of yourself. It is he, not me. Do you get that? Do you get that? He. Not me. So that's jigsaw piece number one. The second piece of the jigsaw, well, after confirming his identity as God's King, the Messiah, Jesus then tells his disciples for the first time, now this is huge, what his kingship will involve. Oh yeah, I am the King, but my rule and my reign will look very different to what you think. You're facing the oppression of the Romans. You want a king who will overthrow the government, who will bring physical liberation. 
You want a warrior king. But let me read for you verse 31, how Jesus describes his kingship. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now, how, just look at that there. Have a look at it. How would you summarize what Jesus says his kingship will involve? Suffering, rejection, death. But actually, I just want you to focus on one word there. And it's that word at the end. Must be killed. Do you see that? Not I will be killed. I'm going to be killed. I must be killed. Why must Jesus be killed? Because unless he dies to take the punishment for our sin, then you and I will face God with our sin on our soul and be called to account for the lives that we live. If he does not offer the perfect sacrifice, it is impossible that we could be forgiven before God. He died on the cross, not because we're good people. He died because we're not good people. And the funny thing is that some of you have heard that. I know that because that was me. Have heard that message a million times. But maybe just now for the first time, it's clicking. Why did Jesus die? Oh, wait. Not because I'm good enough. Because I'm not. Because all of us have rejected God and that's sin. Now, I know I've talked about this a little bit, but I just want to give you an illustration, a quick one. I hope will stick in your mind and, and be a helpful thing about sin. As I said last night, sin is not about breaking rules. Don't think of it that way. Sin is about breaking relationship. I want you to imagine um, that you've got a little sister, okay? Um, but this sister is nothing like you. They are amazing, okay? Terrific, <laughs> incredible. This sister, they go to school and man, top in everything. Best in English, math, science, other languages, French, Mandarin. They learn Arabic for fun. You know, all this type of stuff. They're the lead in the school musical in year seven. They're voted school captain in year eight. Okay, they are the most popular kid, the most athletic kid, just the best. You've never seen a child perform like this. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think your parents are proud of your sister? Yes. Is this a good daughter to your parents? Yes. This is, they're pushing you to the side and say, have you seen my daughter? Look at her. I'm just getting started though. When you get home, or you like the rest of us, drop your bag, you leave your lunchbox in your bag and just go into your room. They pick up your bag, they hang up their bag, they take out the lunchbox, they take out all the food, they wash it all up. They then start dinner preparation for everyone. They lay the table, they serve dinner for everyone, then they do the washing up, all without being asked. They then immediately go upstairs, do their homework, come to your room, and help you with your homework, even though you're five years older than them. They then jump on Zoom and help an underprivileged child with their homework on the other side of the world. Is your sister a good child, a good person? Yeah. Are they a good daughter? Forget about it. Forget about it. This is the best daughter you've ever... Forget it. It makes you look terrible. But there's one part of their life I haven't revealed to you yet. You see, in all this time, in all their life, they have never ever once said a word to your parents. They've just been silent. They come home from school and your parents are like, darling, you've done so well, and they walk straight past them. They serve dinner, they do all these things. Your parents are like, thank you so much. They go straight to their room. 
At nighttime, your parents come in to, to tuck your sister in and kiss her goodnight and she rolls over, turns her own lamp off, never says a word. Let me ask you, is this still a good daughter? Oi, let me tell you, no, 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 let me tell you something. As a parent, and I promise you, I promise you this. As a parent, for most of us, the thing we want most of all from our children is not performance at school. It's not excellent behaviour. Those things matter. They're great, terrific. But I tell you what we'd want more than that? Love. That's what we want, love. And you'd sacrifice anything else to get it. All of us have rejected God's love. That's sin. Now, do you get that? We have said no to a relationship with him, all of us. So you can act as good as you like. You can be as good and religious as you like. But it does not fix what you've broken because what you've broken is not behavioral but relational. Is that connecting dots for you? What you've broken is not you've been bad, you've behaved badly. Now you have, but those things are symptoms of the big problem, the heart problem of sin. They're symptoms. The cause is that we've rejected God. So why must Jesus die? Because it's the only way. Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to bring us into relationship with God so we can know God, we can know Jesus now and forever. He died to take the punishment we deserve for rejecting the God of the universe. Jesus is our Saviour. So what is a Christian? Well, the first two pieces of the puzzle, a Christian is someone who identifies who Jesus is. He's God's King. Piece number two, a Christian is someone who understands why Jesus did what he did. Jesus is our Saviour. In the Bible reading at the start, there are a couple of, to be honest, strange things. For example, why did Jesus tell his disciples not to tell anyone who he was? And why does Jesus call Peter Satan? Can you explain for us what's going on there? Yeah, they can be a bit confused. I'll hit both of them separately. Uh, the first one, the Satan comment. Uh, important to know what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that Peter has somehow morphed into Satan, not at all, but rather Peter is acting on behalf of Satan. The key to that is the next thing he says. You know, he says, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You see, it's all about perspective. In the eyes of Peter, Jesus has just confirmed he is the Messiah. He's proven already he is the, the promised king. And in Peter, when he thinks of, in Peter's mind, when he thinks of a king, he thinks of a palace, of an army of overthrowing the Romans. But Jesus, his reign and rule would look very different to what Peter thought. His reign and rule would look suffering and death, something he had to achieve. And yet he didn't desperately desire this pain on the cross to be um, you know, facing the wrath of his father, uh, yet was willing to do it. So, so what does all of that mean? Well, it means when Peter is there trying to stop him, Jesus, don't speak like that. That's ridiculous. He rebukes Jesus. Um, Jesus, in the sternest possible terms, uh, tells him off, calls him this horrible name, because what Peter is unwittingly doing is providing Jesus with Satan's perspective, which is, you don't need to do that, Jesus. Don't be ridiculous. Have this worldly power. See, to Jesus, what matters most is not what matters here. To, to most other people. What matters most is what happens next. It's not what matters now for most people. It's not what happens now. Uh, it's not the successes of this world. It's, it's eternity. And so 
in order to be shaped by eternity, uh, he, he tells Peter off at that moment in order to continue in the path that his father has planned for him. Uh, the second part uh, of that question, but the first part of the interaction, is where he tells the disciples not to tell anyone. Now, the reason for that is a, is pretty simple. Um, it's all about uh, publicity and timing. Um, he knows that if other people get wind of him being the Messiah, they too, just like Peter would subsequently do, would misunderstand what that meant um, they very well may try and uh, sort of cause an uprising, believing that Jesus was the figurehead uh, Messiah of their minds who would oversee an army. Uh, and, and he didn't want that kind of thing. He was coming in order to proclaim the kingdom of God, uh, just like in chapter 1 we saw, uh, to tell people to repent and to believe, not to start an army or an uprising or anything like that. Um, the second part is the timing. Jesus' timing, the timing of his death, uh, in correlation with the Passover uh, festival on the day that it was, uh, those things were according to God's plan. Uh, and he also knew that it would very well trigger off uh, the arrest and the hatred of the religious leaders and the threat of the Romans uh, by hearing that was someone around claiming to be the Messiah. So uh, he didn't want that more publicly, more publicly spread. But it's worth noting, of course, that after Jesus rises from the dead, in the very, very final words that he gives to his disciples, he tells them to, instead of keeping it quiet, tell everyone. And that's just like for us as Christians today. He tells us to tell everyone now. So we don't need to keep it quiet. The publicity, the timing, um, those things aren't concerns of ours anymore. Instead, we're to go out and tell people the, the good news about Jesus. Jesus says that he must die, but why? Why can't God work out a different way? There's a couple of ways to answer that question, but I'll just point you to one, and that is to say it's all about the word righteousness. Now, righteousness is a word that means someone being legally not guilty. You know, if you uh, stand before a, a judge, you know, you've been charged with a crime, but you're innocent, you haven't done it, and the judge and the court, the jury, they find you not guilty, you know, and, and you can leave, you have been found righteous or justified. Now, the key part is to understand two things. Firstly, God's righteousness, and secondly, our unrighteousness. So in other words, we are sinners, we stand before God, and our sin is a really big deal. You know, we minimize it uh, all the time. We act like it doesn't mean anything, but it means everything. It's a huge thing. We are unrighteous. We are guilty. But God, and the book of Romans is terrific for this, Romans chapter 3, 4, and 5 in particular. It tells us that God is perfectly righteous. Now, what does that mean? It means that he has, on one part of him, he is the righteous judge. He cannot overlook sin. He can't pretend it didn't happen. But the other part of that equation is that he is, in his righteousness, deeply merciful. Part of his character is he's merciful. He desires to show mercy. And so, by sending the perfect sacrifice of his own son... God is able to maintain both those elements of his righteousness, that he is perfectly, perfectly just, but also perfectly, perfectly merciful by pouring out justice on Jesus, the innocent one. Now, it's also worth saying that who Jesus is makes him the only one sufficient to pay this price. Uh, he can pay it. Um, he is perfect. He's perfectly obedient. And because of that, uh, he is able to take that punishment and then rise from the dead. If any of us were to do so, if anyone who was a sinner was to do so, well then for us to rise from the dead would again make God unjust. One of the key things about being a Christian is understanding ultimately that God knows better than we do. That his plan and his purpose, they always prevail. They're perfect. And that's in fact one of the things you realize the longer you're a Christian. As you read the Bible, you become more and more in awe. I promise you, more and more struck by the perfection of his plan 
and the genius of it, you know, the, the mind-blowing ab- above us way everything sort of unfolds um, throughout the Bible and, you know, it culminates in Jesus and then beyond that, or even onto us. And so uh, it's one of those things that I think, keep looking into it, keep thinking about it. It's good to ask those questions, but just have confidence that God does know best, <laughs> you know. His plan is better than anything we could have come up with. And, and this one uh, is the only one that could have provided for any one of us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. Thanks for listening to the Explaining Christianity podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. You can go to whatisachristian.net to do so. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Virtual Church Assist.